on today's episode of The Leadership Drives. I also look, look at success being relationships. I think that's a principal part of this role. And how do you build and maintain relationships and being a connector? To me, housing is, and I don't mean this as a pun, but it's okay. foundational. <laughs> um, but if you think about somebody that's in school, a child that's in school, an elderly person that's impacted by some sort of health issue, where they're living, where they have that stability of place, that really matters. If you're in a leadership role and the constant expectation is on you to do something that's more public facing, give others the opportunity. I really believe in you know, giving those leadership opportunities and it helps the other person grow and it mm -hmm. exposes them and is visible. So those are fantastic to me, but you're, you're giving, you're liberating yourself. Welcome to the Leadership Drives podcast. Now here's your host, Mylena Sutton. Hello, podcast family, and welcome to The Leadership Drives, the podcast where you are invited to be virtual roadies and cruise with me as I take road trips across the country to meet leaders because I want to know what drove them into leadership in the first place and what is driving them now. Yes, you heard right. I drive to meet my podcast guests in person. Whether it means a trip across the country or a drive up the New Jersey Turnpike, my goal is to build real connections and to ask the kinds of questions that make the drive worth it. When Robert Burns invited me to come to Bentonville, Arkansas, curiosity made the answer an easy yes. I needed a reason to visit Arkansas, and I could find no better one than to visit with a former supervisor, mentor, and friend. And to boot, it was a chance to see where the Walmart empire began. As I made my way to Bentonville, I stopped through Hot Springs National Park, but I'd done no research, none whatsoever. In this same spirit of poor preparation, you will hear in my conversation with Robert about my failure to do my homework relative to a board role. That experience, like visiting the park, affirmed what I already knew. In the absence of preparation, you get what you get. In essence, I knew I was taking a crapshoot when I visited the park. In full transparency, though, I did expect to see something reminiscent of Yellowstone's geysers. Mm, no. Instead, I saw a rather normal bathhouse. If you've ever been to a Korean spa, it's a similar experience, but with swimsuits. So after checking out Hot Springs in its cute little downtown, I headed for a hiking trail in Washita National Forest. But I got lost along the way. And in getting lost, I stopped in various stores to ask for directions. And in so doing, I began to see something clearly or more clearly perhaps about America and about rural America that I'd seen time and time again, but had overlooked. More of our country lives in the struggle class than I realized, and the face of struggle and poverty isn't as urban nor as dark as you might think. I eventually made it to Washington, and the hike was a great workout and the most terrifying solo hike that I've ever had. There was nobody on that trail except me. 
there were parts of the trail that weren't maintained well. So I had to pay very close attention to actually stay on the trail and not get lost in the woods. I've never felt so alone. But that was before finishing the drive to Bentonville. The highway was just as isolated. It was me, bugs, and like two streetlights. At some point, I started singing church songs. Jesus, be a fence all around me every day. And whatever happens, God, do not let this car break down or tire go flat because it's not going to be good. Alas, I made it around 11 p.m. to Bentonville. The town was fast asleep and I was in the home of Walmart. When I arrived the next morning for my appointment with Robert, I was pleasantly surprised to see him casually dressed. He had on jeans, sneakers, and a polo shirt. As he showed me around the office, I felt quite at home. I don't know if that was because the office was the opposite of ostentatious, particularly in light of the resources of the organization, or if it was simply the magic of Robert. My conversation with Robert was remarkable because of its simplicity. As he talked, I thought, wow, he actually lives the fundamentals of leadership. As you take this drive with me, I invite you to think about what you believe the fundamentals of leadership are. Well, thank you for taking time to meet. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for coming to Arkansas. <laughs> you know what? It's when you put it out there, I was like, bet, I'm going. <laughs> Good, deal. Good deal. Good deal. And it's wonderful to see you after, what, 20 plus years. Exactly. Wow. I mean, when I met you, I was fresh into grad school. And I even tell people to this day, Robert was one of the best supervisors I ever had because I felt like you were always a good communicator. You made it clear what you expected. Um, and I always appreciated that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I'm so glad you came and that we've stayed in touch over all these years. Indeed. Through transitions and moves. It's fantastic. Indeed, indeed. So tell me, what are you doing right now at the um, Walton Family Foundation? What do you do? I am the director for what's known as the home region. And for the Walton Family Foundation, uh, which is truly a family foundation that was originally established by Sam and Helen Walton, the founders of Walmart. It was set up as a family foundation to bring the family together and to be a place that provided uh, philanthropy back into the areas that had really helped them grow Walmart or areas that they were passionate about. So the foundation works in education, environment, and then what's known as home region. And home region, where I get the privilege of serving as director, are these two upper Northwest counties of Arkansas, Benton and Washington, where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And then we also do work in the Mississippi Delta, which are two counties in Arkansas, one in Mississippi. And there's a tie for the family there based on history as well. But uh, the areas are very different than each other, but we work in areas such as uh, regional affordability or entrepreneurship or growing the strength of the nonprofit sector as a few examples. And we work with partners, nonprofits, municipal government, uh, public-private partnerships to to really make this area as in vibrant and inclusive as possible. That's our primary goal in terms of the work that we do. Gotcha. What does a regular day look like for you? If you had to say, this is how my day starts, these are the three or four things I do um, every day, what's a day for you like? Um, a lot of it is strategy, mm -hmm. looking at how are we going to 
build off the strategy that we've already set and accomplish the goals that underlie that. Mm-hmm. Um, meeting with team members that have creative ideas or they've met an organization they think could be a possible fit. So it's exploratory in that way. And a lot of it is meetings. It's meetings, but they're meetings with people. It's listening for me. It's understanding what's going on in the community in the region and figuring out, is there a place that we could work together in some way or that the foundation could be a partner or supportive or are there other organizations that that person or the organization could connect with? What I love about my day is that you probably hear this from a lot of you. No, no one is alike. Mm-hmm. Every one of them is different. But my days typically start early. I'm a morning person. So, so I, four or five. I usually there? get up at 430 every day. What, you are early. <laughs> that is early. And then I start usually with some sort of workout. I'm a swimmer or I do some biking or dry land workout or something. It's just the way I like to start my day. And I usually will start, if I can, with a breakfast meeting, okay. meeting somebody for coffee, breakfast, um, and that's the start to the day. And then because of the nature of the role, partners often have an evening event or this area is just bustling with things going on. So there'll be things that I might to want to attend to understand the region better, having only lived here for eight months at this point. Mm-hmm. I still very much am listening, meeting people. I, I still consider myself on a listening tour. You know, I think it's interesting that you said that so much of the work is meeting because I hear so many people talk about how much they hate meeting. Mm. And I think part of what leading is, is convening with people and to figure out, okay, where are the gaps? How do we get on the same page? So um, I think it's interesting that you started with that. Yeah, no, and I, I, I break meetings out into kind of two types too. I mean, I'm being very basic about this is that there's the meeting where it's Mm one-on-one and you're establishing rapport relationship and figuring out this, the mutual potential intersectionality or just getting to know the person. I mean, there's a lot of that. Then there's meetings that are certainly about getting the work done at the office. Mm -hmm. I think that's where some people get kind of in that mindset, but I do believe that meetings with an agenda and a goal in mind are definitely where you have to head if you're going to have a successful meeting. And I'm not disciplined Mm -hmm. about that all the time either, but it's a good goal. Mm -hmm. I find that I'm getting better even with my admin with having the agenda because I know me, I like to talk and wait a minute, why are we here? Because we aren't doing anything with socializing. So I totally get that. Let me ask you, what does success look like for you in your role? Hmm. One thing that I measure is really based on the strategy that we have set forth. Mm -hmm. And that is about accomplishing working towards the goals. It's a five-year strategy. I don't, nor do I think others expect that we're going to accomplish something immediately. There are some immediate quick wins, but other things are going to take longer. It's seeing progress to that goal. It's seeing how things happen. It's meeting, for me, folks that have been affected by the work that we're doing or an organization that has been impacted by a grant that we've provided. Wow. We are a family-led foundation, so I'm working very often directly with family uh, members and benefiting from their leadership, their vision for the region, and how do we work together to accomplish that? So it's also, for me, it's a period of adjustment. Mm-hmm. I also look, look at success being relationships. I think that's a principle part of this role and how do you build and maintain relationships and being a connector. So if I meet 
it's happened several times today, meet people that I think should meet each other, or here's an organization that's getting ready to do something. They should talk to this organization because there's a similar, maybe there's a way that they could benefit from learning and meeting at, uh, from each other. So it's that kind of thing. I think success takes many forms. It's all in the definition, but the bigger definition for me is working towards the goals, seeing the progress, but it all comes down to the people impacted by the work, the organizations that are on the ground doing the work, being able to see them, see what the impact has been on his or her life. That's, that's the real success. And that's the real impact. Since you mentioned the people and the impact on their lives, tell me about an organization or a group of people that you've worked with that you think really touched you and them. Hmm. Loaded question, huh? No, there's several that come to mind. I I will I'll name one that uh, I had the privilege of working with while I was at uh, City. Mm-hmm. Um, when I before coming here to the Walton Family Foundation, I worked for City out of DC. And I'm very passionate about affordable housing and workforce housing. And I, in a prior role, helped create um, the first community land trust that was east of the Anacostia River in D.C. And that's significant because that is a predominantly African-American community in D.C. They hadn't had a community land trust. This was created around a plan that was bigger than just the land trust, but was a way to preserve affordability in a city that was seeing rapid changes mm-hmm. in the city and worked with residents and partners to set this up. And for me, it was like we were at the starting point mm-hmm. and then to be able to leave that organization and then someone else comes in as the executive director has taken it to a whole nother level. But then being at city and being able to support it as it grew was really satisfying to me. And then seeing how the organization has continued to grow, have units, but more importantly, like residents now benefiting from their services. But it started several years ago. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, even though you have a vision, you may not be involved long enough to see how that vision completes. I was lucky. I had two different organizations, but because of the mission in both cases, we were able to create and then support this organization. So that, that for me is... And it's one of those that I think could be a lifetime that you could go back a decade from now, mm-hmm. 25 years. Mm-hmm. It's still there. It's still doing the work. That That's kind of how I feel about neighborhood plans in general. Mm. Many of these plans are 30 year plans. Yep. And you're like to see one from start to finish. There aren't many people, I think, who stick around that long. No, I don't think so. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a rarity. I think that used to be more common mm-hmm. where you'd see folks, particularly in the municipal sector, mm-hmm. staying for much longer. But I think you're totally right. I don't think you see that kind of longevity in terms of staying in a job. You mentioned affordable housing is important to you. Why do you care? To me, housing is, and I don't mean this as a pun, but it's foundational. (laughs) Um, But if you think about somebody that's in school, a child that's in school, an elderly person that's impacted by some sort of health issue, um, somebody that is struggling with some sort of addiction or challenge themselves, where they're living, where they have that stability of place, that really matters. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's a fundamental. You can make changes in other things, the things that I talked about. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a place that you can call home or a place that's safe Mm -hmm. and stable, and I'm really 
being fairly basic about that. There's a lot more to it than just that. But if you don't have it and it's not affordable, mm-hmm. you're, I think it occupies so much of your brain mm-hmm. about how am I going to do the next day? Mm-hmm. If you're really wanting somebody to thrive, to me, housing that's affordable, safe, accessible is like an essential ingredient. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was initially considering grad school, believe it or not, I wanted to work in code enforcement in a large city. Whereas you talk about affordability, one of the things that I look at in a lot of the communities that I drive through, um, particularly in urban areas, the level of disrepair Mm. and even down to simple litter, I think that speaks to a level of just low-grade persistent stress for people. And I think that also affects how they see themselves as Mm -hmm. well as how they interact with the community around them. And I've always wondered, again, if there was some sort of study about something like that, because I can't imagine what it would be like to be a kid in such a neighborhood. Yeah, I have a client in a, a section of Philadelphia called Kensington. Kensington is an open air drug market. And what I think about when I'm in that community, just at the playground, there's a lot of uh, tent city type things Mm -hmm. going on there. A lot of needles, syringes, a lot of trash. And I often wonder, kids walking by, how does that affect your psyche? Even if it's not your family member, your parent, not you, but having that just in your neighborhood all the time. Absolutely. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know there's organizations that have studied this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and look at those trends. And there's examples out there of cities that have tried different routes of Mm -hmm. addressing these kinds of challenges. But that's the thing that I think is so foundational. Mm -hmm. That's part of where you're living every day. This is what you're exposed to. Mm -hmm. And I do think you see great examples of folks that have that's built their strength. That's built their muscle to overcome. And they are more resilient than maybe anyone you'd ever meet. But I think often that's more the exception and that is the reason the housing, the housing then build in other things and pride in neighborhoods and neighborhood cohesion. Do the neighbors know each other? Do they do stuff together? Mm -hmm. Do they organize to get things done even at a, a block level or do they help neighbors out? That part of the fabric of the community is an essential part. That is community. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I hear you there. Um, when you think about how you grew up, was your community much like this idealistic community that you're talking about? <laughs> um, so I grew up, it's, it's interesting because I grew up rural. Okay. I grew up in North Carolina. My mom still lives in the house that I grew up in. And we had a, a small family farm there. We raised beef cattle. And if I were to draw circles from the house kind of around there were cousins and uncles and other relatives that lived there. We all worked this farm together. And that was a community, but it was a community of family. Mm-hmm. There were other folks, but it wasn't as if we had like a next door neighbor or a neighbor that was really close by. Mm-hmm. As the area has grown, there's been houses built closer to my mom. But I did feel the sense of community in terms of even with family, these were people you could count on. These were folks that. If there was a need, if something needed to get done, if you were in crisis, there was a support group there that was always ready to help you out. Even though there'd be conflict sometimes, just like in any family. Just like but any family. It's it's a natural part of that, and I, I, I value that. So I think there's a part of it that shapes. But what I find interesting is, even though I grew up in that rural area, I'm fascinated by cities, like mm-hmm. bigger cities, cities like we're in now that are... Um, you know, Bentonville's around 55,000 at this point, growing rapidly, as is the rest of Northwest Arkansas. 
you know, what does that mean for its future? But the workings of a city, the working of a community always fascinates me. How have you, because I've kind of kept that with your career over the years, how have you managed to always find work that's consistent with this notion of building community? Mm. Because everything that I think I've ever seen you do, I'm like, it, it, it makes so much sense. <laughs> and I don't know if I think there's so many people who moved mm. around as much as I think you have mm-hmm. and have always been able to keep that through line. How has that happened? Were you diligent about that or did mm. opportunities find you? How did that work? It's a little both. Okay. I mean, opportunities have found me or someone has told me about an opportunity. I do think there's a diligence there in terms of looking at the opportunity and does it fit my personal mission? Mm-hmm. I have a hard time. I, I actually, I'm not sure if I could do a job where I didn't personally like fundamentally believe in what we were doing mm-hmm. and feel good at the end of each day that, hey, we've we've moved the needle on something today or the end of the week. I don't think I've, I've been as deliberate. It's conscious, but I don't think about it as much. But I need to be able to see the result of my work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really critical to me. And whether that was in local government, the nonprofit sector, or philanthropy, it's afforded me the ability to do that. And it's it's that fulfillment, you know, at the end of the day that I, I can see my purpose. I can see the purpose in the work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it doesn't mean every, every day is always going to be a great day, but mi- most of them are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like very privileged and um, humbled to be doing the work I'm doing right now. And I can say that about a lot of jobs. There was one job I had that was a great move in terms of the work I got to do, really a fantastic learning experience, but the culture was horrible. And this was several, many years ago. Mm-hmm. But even that I learned from because it made me appreciate the culture even more and look at the organization's culture at the same time as the purpose of the work. And I might have taken that for granted previously. How do you figure out what an organization's <laughs> culture is before you join the team? Mm. I think that that's a really hard thing to do, honestly, because mm-hmm. it's easy in a process to kind of get a sense mm-hmm. of the people and the place. And I think organizations sometimes will sell you on what the culture is. You got to ask questions like you need to do your research. Look at what's online. Mm-hmm. What are people saying about the organization, its leadership? And I do think you get a sense during the process. You get to know some of the folks that are involved, the leadership. And for me, I get a feeling about that. And since that one experience many years ago, mm-hmm. it makes me look even more closely. And I want to know how decisions get made and how are you supported in your role? How does the organization and its leadership delegate? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you view trust? I mean, these are... There's some questions that I like to ask during the process that, to me, are core. Gotcha. That makes sense. And then Mylene is always a skeptic. I'm like, okay. are they going to lie to me? <laughs> you know, Because they used to do some work some years ago um, as a part of an organization doing exit interviews to find out why certain types of organizations had such high turnover. Yeah. And oftentimes what I heard from the leaders in those organizations, they were sold one thing and the reality was very different when they got there. Yeah. I mean... And I often think about that. I'm hoping that that's not necessarily something that many people confront, but I often think about how much can you really know? Yeah. And I think we're in a market now and market's changing just generally in this country where labor is a precious resource. Yes, it is. Most 
places are having historically low employment, unemployment rates, and there's a lot of jobs that you're very difficult to find people. And therefore, I could see where the workplace is really trying to, you're, you're doing your best to make it seem like a place a person wants to go. But hopefully at the same time, you're making it even better. You really are because you can get someone into a role, but you also want to retain them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can't retain, you've got a bigger challenge. deal with as you bring people into your organization as well as assume the folks who were here when you got here how do you make sure that they are connected and really uh, engaged in terms of advancing the mission of the organization because you do education hang on i got an education environment as well as the home region right have you had a situation where someone has come in and they're simply just something isn't working well and it's not that they don't have the skills mm-hmm. it's about alignment mm. how do you get that Mm. I haven't had it here okay. at my current position. I have had that in other organizations. And even though you go through a really thorough process, and I, I do believe in an interview process, you engage as many of the stakeholders, whether they be fellow employees, a board, other divisions that we work with. Like You get a sense from them because they'll know the qualities that you need. And you've gone through all that, you hire the person, and still mm-hmm. you run into this challenge. There's times I've seen at work where you've been able to then make corrections to that. But more often than not, you just have to make the hard decision and say, this is not working. We made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And either find another place for the person if that's feasible. But often it's led to the person not staying with the organization. Mm -hmm. Now, I always hope for the best that the person lands in a better place that's a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. But... When the fit's not there, it's often there's like something fundamental that you didn't know in the interview process. For instance, like just keeping track of what's going on and making sure somebody gets the work done. Mm -hmm. Some of it's just very basic, hard to test for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know organizations try to do a lot of different tests, but it's not easy to assess that until you get into a real situation. I think a lot of people struggle with the, what I call it, cut the cord. At Mm. some point when you know it's not a good fit, not only you, the leader, you recognize that, but the person who knows that he or she in yeah. fitting, they know that too. Yeah. And it's hell for everybody. Yeah. And I think often what we need to do is figure out perhaps not only how to broach the subject, but perhaps make it as part of our leadership ethos is a commitment to helping people land well. Yeah. You know, instead of terminating you today, maybe there's a six month offboarding period right. or something. Right. But I think oftentimes the issue is so intractable because what we are afraid of is not only the discomfort of termination, but I think people worry about things that at the end of the day is just the risk of being a professional. Sometimes things don't work and you've got to go. And at the end of the day, this is a mutual problem. I yeah. got to get you out of here. Yeah. And you're responsible for helping yourself land well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I, I like it. I think if you can assist somebody mm-hmm. to, to be in a better place, a better fit, even in the same organization, mm-hmm. seeing that work fine. It's just some, it's just not a fit. Mm-hmm. Indeed. It's not a fit. And in this industry, because you've been around nonprofits, philanthropy for a long time, mm-hmm. what are some of the common causes of conflict? It's it's often, uh, let's see. I mean, if I were to think about some of the differences, some of it's philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get something done? Mm-hmm. Or 
how do you include different audiences or not in the process of getting something done? I often see board conflict yeah. that isn't on the surface, but is simmering below. Mm-hmm. I really believe you got to bring that out, that yeah. there, there can be healthy conflict at the board level. And very often, it doesn't matter what the organization is, it's the interpersonal. Mm-hmm. Like two people who either just so different stylistically mm-hmm. or can't have empathy towards the other person in terms of perspective that they just are crossing in the night and they don't either choose to engage or take the time to learn about the other person and try to figure out how to work better. I mean, those are, those are some classics to me that you run into. I find that this notion of board issues to be quite funny. So um, I've been on two and a half boards. And the reason I say half... Love to hear about the half. (laughs) I quit. That's why I got the half. And I think what was wrong for me was two things. I think that I didn't do my homework when I was vetted well enough. And I think if they were honest, and I don't think they would be, when they asked me to be on the board, I think they were trying to have their representational diversity go up. Um, Mm. And with that being said, um, as I got to become more familiar with the board and its dynamics. It simply wasn't a good fit. I didn't feel connected and it started to feel like a chore. And what I am not willing to do is work 40, 50 hours a week and then go volunteer another however many hours and not have some return on my time. Sure. Um, And I think a lot of times with board issues, they're um, kind of like that. So now fast forward, there's an organization, this lady found me through uh, some mutual colleagues. They deal with children who live in distressed communities. Mm. And they're trying to teach them to appreciate the beauty of nature and outside. Hmm. And she was like, I heard the executive director calls and we're talking. She's I heard you like to hike. And then I was on your website and I see that you have a thing for K through three kids. I think we're your people. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, this process has been very different for me. So I told her I didn't want to join the board right away. I said, I like to come to some of your events first because I don't want to have another half experience, if you will. It's just to me, I'd rather say no and donate something than join a board and be frustrated again. I respect that. I think it's kind of like dating. You need to figure out if it's a match for you and the board. Mm-hmm. and take your time to do the diligence now some folks know the organization they know the work mm-hmm. but I, I like your example because i think it's a smart way to approach that let's date for a while let's, yeah, let's figure out it. if this is really a match mm-hmm. yeah i find that in many instances that's a challenge in terms of just being honest about that sure match. yeah sure and on the flip side I've had some people who are in executive director roles say to me that they know their boards are disengaged and they like it that way. I had one gentleman say to me that he likes the fact that his board is disengaged because he gets to run amok, so to speak. He does exactly what he wants to do. Exactly. Yeah. He said he absolutely does not uh, want them to become more engaged. I don't think that, that, I don't think it's across all organizations, but I do think you run into organizations from time to time where that's the case. And it's been, historically the case at an organization. So that's part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, one of the worst things you can do to me as a board member is being neg- negligent in your duties. And I'm not talking about fiduciary. Mm-hmm. It's asking questions. Mm-hmm. It's reading the material. It's being engaged and being a person that helps generate ideas. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, what, why are you there? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I can answer that. A lot of people want stuff for their resumes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? sure. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, let me have switch uh, gears just a little bit. Yeah. I hear you talking quite a bit about the work that you do, um, dealing with so many of the challenges that come up in the communities that you serve. How do you take care of you? Mm. I know you have your swimming in the morning, mm-hmm. but when I'm thinking about taking care of you, aside from that, are there any particular what I call anchor habits or... Um, parts of how you uh, maintain a routine to your uh, to maintain your own level of professional development how do you make sure robert is always okay yeah that's it's a good question and frankly i don't think we all do that great a job of that (laughs) on a regular basis so exercise is critical Mm -hmm. for me eating well is critical those are going to seem really basic i take the time in the morning we have two dogs i walk the dogs in the morning and when i finish walking the dogs and they get fed I usually spend some time with them, just getting familiar, you know, playing with them. And that's just a great distraction, frankly. Mm-hmm. And it's a grounding because they're part of our lives and it's that's a part of my day. And then when I am at my best, I've had experiences during the day that are stretching me, you know, in some way, mm-hmm. making me think differently, meeting somebody new doing a podcast, you know, (laughs) it's the things that are different. And I like variety. If I had a job where every day was the same, Mm -hmm. and I respect folks that do that, because there's folks that love that and thrive in it. It's just not for me. Mm -hmm. I want the variety. I want the unpredictability. um, And I want to be able to know that I look at my day and I'm like, it's very different than yesterday. Mm -hmm. But those are some of the anchors. I, I, do my best to talk to my mom every day. She's widowed. So talking to her is like one of those key parts of the day. And I'm usually in my head, I think about, hey, are there are a couple people I haven't talked to in a long time. So just send them a text, like check in, how's things going? We have uh, godchildren, like how are they doing? That's really important. I hear you. I hear you. How do you deal with distractions? Things that mm-hmm. will threaten to take away some of the exercise time you have. Um, things that will, I'm going to say, tempt you to, or maybe you're not tempted by this, um, but to be so committed and so involved where you don't have time to send those texts to talk to the people you really love and care about. How do you um, manage distractions? I, I do my best to fit the things in. And my my partner would probably say I try to do too much. But even if that means like a longer part of the day <laughs> or getting up even earlier, I'll do that. I also assume that like something could change in the middle of the day. And that used to be something I would think, oh, my God, you know, you could have a a negative reaction to it, but I, I'm, I fundamentally believe what I'm about to say, that my experience in life is that those kinds of things happen for this reason that sometimes is not apparent, it may not be apparent for weeks or months or maybe even years, but there's a reason that happened. Adapt to it and move on as best as you can. And I am classic for getting caught up in a detail of something that mm-hmm. really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I try to do better about that, but that's that's a, a challenge that I work with on a regular basis. And I try not to, like, the old expression, don't sweat the small stuff. I was thinking that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is important, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to be mindful of that. You know, one of the things I found that I have to do, and it helps me a lot to frame things, 
I have to make decisions not to stress and fret over things. I'll give you an example. I went to a movie this past weekend and while I was there, I couldn't remember if the parking meter uh, ended at seven yep. or if it meant that it became a new parking zone. Sure. And I had to ask myself, either you're gonna go move your car and go check or you're gonna enjoy the movie. Mm -hmm. But sitting here worried about whether or not you're gonna get a ticket, you're not going to enjoy this experience. Right. So what are you going to do? Right. And to me, that's kind of on the same level as being just so caught up in details that don't matter. And what I mean by that is I need to make a choice about my mindset and mm -hmm. how it is I'm going to frame experiences and deal with stuff. Yep. I think it's a, it's a wonderful example because you, you can decide how you want to approach that. Yes. Like I'm either going to take the risk on a what, $20, $30 ticket. Yeah. Or I'm gonna get up and leave the movie. Yeah, exactly. But and what's the here, worst thing that could happen? Exactly, right? exactly. Or the definition of "quote unquote" worst thing, because in the scheme of life, that's like nothing, right? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. You're like, eh, okay. <laughs> First of all, you're out of town at a movie theater. That says a lot about the fact that you probably could deal with the twenty, thirty dollar ticket anyway. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> Let me ask you, because um, this is a question I often ask, and I'll, I'll tee it up in this way. I believe that we come to be strong people and have a sense of conviction when that, when getting to that place has cost us something. Mm. Um, and to give you a couple of examples, uh, about five or six years ago, I decided I wanted to work on my health. My family's health history ain't pretty. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to me when I started to work on it, I also had to make some cuts in my life. Sure. Um, and something as simple as I was in a million organizations doing different things. And I realized, you know, if you want to be healthy, Marlene, you got to cook a little bit more. And if I got to cook a little bit more, I got to find time for that. Yep. Yep. And if I'm going to run in the mornings at five, yep. I got to go to bed on time. Right. That meant a whole lot of stuff I had to cut Right. Um, because I had to make some choices about what it is that I really value. So to get to this place where you are as a person in terms of how you manage who you are as a person and maintain that sense of alignment between your personal and professional goals, what does it cost you? What have you had to cut? Mm. Definitely uh, things at the community level, you know, boards that I've chosen that I can no longer do or volunteering that I would like to do, but couldn't do or go to something and make a choice to do that or not. I, I mean, those are classic examples. I, I, I think though, you're always making that kind of, or you should be like thinking about that decision is, do I really need to go to this meeting? Mm -hmm. If this other person is going, they can cover it mm -hmm. and they can report back. Or if, you're in a leadership role and the constant expectation is on you to do something that's more public facing, give others the opportunity. I really believe in you know, giving those leadership opportunities and it helps the other person grow and it mm -hmm. exposes them and is visible. So those are fantastic to me, but you're, you're giving, you're liberating yourself mm -hmm. from those challenges and allowing yourself to say, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to allow someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's a, there's a freedom that comes with that. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I will tell you, there are lots of nights I wake up and I'm thinking of something. It could be the least important thing. And it involves the house or a family member. Sometimes it's about work and I'll sit there and like dwell on it, try to solve it. Sometimes writing it down helps. Sometimes I meditate myself back. You know, I, Sometimes it keeps me awake. Hmm. Um, and I wish that wasn't the case. And that's trying to shake that out of your head. Easier said than done. Yeah. 
And I try to do the techniques that work for me, but um, I, I just, that's a, a challenge that probably more people face. We don't talk about it nearly enough, mm -hmm. but it's like that thought that wakes you up at 2.30 in the morning, like, oh, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like your parking meter, but mm -hmm. you're waking up about the parking meter at 2.30 in the morning when really it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> it really doesn't yeah. matter. As you were talking, I think when you talked about it, it was very freeing to be able to share some of those opportunities with other people. The other thing I thought was that you have to also become a little less controlling. Yep. Um, because with that, that means you accept that not everything is going to go perfectly. Yep. Um, and most of the things that we want to go perfectly, they aren't that serious. No. Um, nope. we, we can bounce back from most stuff. Uh, I agree with you. And there's a story of a boss that I had one time in um, one of the cities that I had the uh, opportunity to work in. He did this leadership development course. And he did it across the, the different departments of the city. And he would write on a board, you know, this cat classic butcher paper and then tape it up. And it would say nothing is perfect he would purposely put the p in place of the f and you'd wait to see if somebody catches it or said something mm -hmm. and part of the lesson was nothing's perfect mm -hmm. and it stuck with me like I, that image of that phrase on the the butcher paper is always like i can remind myself of that mm -hmm. and it's close i mean we try to account for everything you can but part of it you got to let go and delegation to me is allowing for learning opportunity and for folks to be able to sometimes make a mistake mm -hmm. and that there's often that that expression of what is it don't let the perfect get in the way of the good yes I've and heard that. good is often just fine mm -hmm. i i definitely want to always do my best to put my best work forward mm -hmm. but there are times that it may not seem that way but you're not going to lose sleep over that you haven't gotten it perfect yeah i'm with you there i um I've been working on my issue with FOMO. Um, mm. And this road trip actually has made it very clear and it's been helping me to frame things. There are a million things I've wanted to do while I'm on the road. Sure. And I've had to make some very clear decisions about what do I want to do most and recognize that you're not going to be able to do everything. Right. And I think that also can be a source of just anxiety for people in terms of not only trying to make Absolutely. it perfect, but doing it all. Absolutely. Sometimes. And then trying to figure out even at a basic level, like who's involved in something, or if you're inviting someone to something, then you know who have you included, or what's those possibilities? Indeed. So here's my last question: If you had to give someone some advice on how to design the life that they want to live on and off the clock, um, so that they have more alignment between what they want to do, um, what they actually do. Um, in general, what would you tell somebody to do? Give them some advice. Mm -hmm. Design the life you want to live. Do this one thing if you do nothing else. Part of it is so much of our life when we're working is about work. Mm -hmm. And do something that you feel passionate about that is going to give you joy mm -hmm. and that it's not something that you're dreading every day or that at the end of the day you're just, you've lost any bit of energy from that. I think the other is finding the things that give you the balance. Like what is the thing that gives you the headspace? What are the things that give you joy? Mm -hmm. How do you determine your purpose? And being reflective on that and being able to say, this is where 
I want to spend my time. These are the kinds of things. These are kinds of people. I think people are absolutely key. I, I do think a lot of this with folks is there's a there's certain degree of reciprocal that friendship is about. It's a it's a two way. I mean, it may not be that you see everybody all the time, just like us, but that we're staying in touch on a regular basis. And if something happened, we we're there for each other in a different way, even though somebody may not be in close proximity, but mm-hmm. determining what you value of those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I think that's a great uh, way for us to um, really kind of end this, thinking about what it is you really value and do the work to reflect on that. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we don't reflect, we are just busy and therefore mm-hmm. we miss recognizing what we truly value. Yeah. Indeed. No, exactly. And I think that helps you make those choices. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. I mean, Making we, the choices. We are inundated yes. with choice, and uh, there's times those ans- those no's are really difficult. And I have to admit that there's times I'm listening to my partner, and that's really helpful because mm-hmm. I feel the freedom to say no, even though I'm feeling the pressure. Mm-hmm. But he'll help evaluate that in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful to recognize that it's a choice. Right. I think so often we go through life and we don't recognize that we are choosing, even if we are passively choosing, many of the things that um, suck the life out of us yeah. and yeah. leave us feeling resentful or right. overwhelmed or whatever right. we might be feeling. Right. Good deal. Well, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. It's so good to see you, and I'm glad we could have this time together, even with a little shift in our last few minutes here. Oh, no, I think it'll be fine. We worked out fine. (laughs) Indeed. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Drives podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe, share with your family and friends, and be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Leadership Drives. Leadership Drives.